You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians network. Find more great shows like this at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to We Are Libertarians, Libertarian Politics and Policy. This is a short episode of We Are Libertarians where we talk about issues in the news. And there seems to be only one issue in the news currently with many, 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 many different layers. So that's why we're bringing you so much extra content right now. Uh, and one of the layers to this is the, the, the natural tension the Sophie's Choice, I guess I called it on, on a recent episode, of choosing public health versus the economy. And uh, in, in that is the shelter-in-place orders. And it's generally being done by localities and state governments, as many libertarians prefer. Uh, and, you know, the, the discussion going on right now is how long should we shelter in place? And public health experts say it's got to be the next month or two. And then economists are like that. That's too long. And then there's also the layer of should the government be forcing anybody in their homes at all? And so one of the smartest people I know is also one of the most at risk people that I know. Her name is Phyllis Klozinski. And Phyllis is a dear friend who was on one of our cost episodes talking about her uh, struggle with cancer. And she uh, is a boomer, which we don't hold against you, Phyllis. Okay, thank you. Good. Um, and you know the Indiana Constitution inside and out, and so we're going to talk a little bit about Indiana, but it's a test case because this is what's happening in every locality. Um, and so we're going to probably, it's it, it, hopefully you find it relevant. We're not going to focus too much on Indiana, but it's going to come up because we're in Indiana and we're trying to understand what's happening. But the governor yesterday came out and put a shelter-in-place order. And essentially non-essential businesses can't be open. But then he puts out the list of essential businesses, and literally everybody's still open. Nothing really changed after the order yesterday. You know, I can still go to Chick-fil-A. There's still, I can still drive to my job in, in the media. There's still uh, a lot of a lot of places open. So there, uh, there isn't, I guess my first question to you, Phyllis, is maybe more of a personal one because you, if you got COVID, would be at risk. I mean, so how are you feeling, and how are how are you handling that reality? Well, the reality hasn't changed much for me. I've been basically sheltering in place because of a compromised immune system since I was diagnosed and treated for the cancer with. Uh, chemotherapy, which destroys your immune system. So this is nothing new for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing I have to watch for is someone in the household bringing it home to me. So, we, you know, we basically just go out for essential things. And I've been basically just going to the oncologist and hematologist for the last two years and to blood tests. And that's it. And basically coming home, which doesn't bother me. As you know, you've been to visit me. I'm quite happy here on my little two acres in the woods. <laughs> you have a beautiful home and a great pool, and you built it all yourself, which was really amazing. Yeah. So, you know, I, and, but I do understand the need of the general public. And especially, I agree with you that, you know, there is an economic factor to this, which to me 
is extremely important. Let's face it, there are many diseases out there that some are well-known, others we don't know about. This was something that was just discovered and surprised us. But a disease is something that it's just like the environment and, and the earth. Man can't control it. We can only hope to prevent the damage done by it. But the economy is what's suffering. And to me, that is impacting more people than the minimal amount of us that might be adversely impacted if people were allowed to go about their normal lives if they were healthy individuals. And to me, that's wrong. I, I feel responsible for taking care of myself. I wouldn't put myself in a position to expose myself to the flu or this virus or anything else so I know I could catch and would kill me because of the disease I have. So, you know, I feel it's my responsibility not to punish people who are hardworking. And another thing, a lot of places, and I think you might have covered it once in, in some of your podcasts, the investments that many of us boomers have made over the years is what we live off of, which has now been totally destroyed by the economy. That puts an impact on all of us to try and survive, as well as those of you who are still working, that, you know, everybody feels sorry for, well, they're out of work, you know, give them unemployment, give them this benefit, give them that benefit. There's no way any of us are going to recover any of that income that we lost. You know, not that I'm saying demand the government to repay it, but what I'm saying is the situation is everyone has to be individually responsible. And I don't want to be responsible for somebody not making an income that they deserve to make. Okay, but let me push back on that because the reality is that this is an, you know, when I hear people say something along those lines, and do I sound okay? Yes, you do. Okay. When I hear something along those lines, it, it, and I hear libertarians kind of making that argument, it sounds a little bit like a dog whistle that they don't believe that this is a real disease, that this is just... No, no, no I didn't say that. No, I'm not I, saying I, that. I'm, I, let, me, right. let me structure the question, because I'm trying to counter the argument to what a lot of people are making, not you necessarily. Okay. Um, as I talk to people, I hear a lot of people pretending that this isn't an actual disease, that this is just the regular flu. When one guy in our Facebook group is like, when it kills as many people as the flu, let me know. Okay, well, I'll hit you up in a week and a half. The epidemiological models of this have been f pretty accurate. And, you know, yesterday I got word that one of the local hospitals here is starting to have to make decisions of who gets a vent and who doesn't. And that's a, that's a hospital three miles from me. And so because the federal government blew it and didn't take this seriously at the beginning and didn't encourage or allow tests to be made, we didn't get to do what South Korea did. And so to slow that, that model down, everybody has to take a couple weeks sacrifice to, to not overwhelm the system. So do you how do you feel about the overarching? I know there are some people out there who just think that we never should have done this. It's totally, I'm not one of those people. Like I voluntarily would be working home. I'm not, we'll, we'll get to the argument of whether or not government force was necessary or not. But in, in what you just said, how much do you think it's necessary for people to shelter in place and 
because it's not just yourself. I, I could be adversely affected. I may have underlying health issues I'm not even aware of. I'm a 36-year-old male. It hits men f- faster and harder than it seems to in women. My death, my chances of death are not as as high. It's 0.1%, which is like the flu, but it's apparently a very nasty disease. So the, the trade-off, I guess, between the economy, which I don't think is totally destroyed at this point. I think it'll come back. I think if we extend this it will be but you know you what what you just said is very about it's a lot about economics like how do you feel about the sheltering in place do you think people should be staying home and and restaurant workers sacrificing two weeks of income like where do you come down on some of that well it's not my position to force anybody to do anything i you know as a libertarian that's that's always been my position. As a constitutionalist, that's also been my position. Right. I would advise people who know they're at risk, such as myself, to do what I've done for the past two years, to shelter in place and to know what your risks are in going out. Um, as far as the youngsters like you, if you're well enough and you don't test for anything, you don't have a fever, you don't have any of the symptoms, there's no reason that you shouldn't be allowed to go to work if you want to. If you feel you want to shelter in place because you personally feel that's best for your well-being, that should be your right. But I don't want to force anybody to shelter in place, not go to work, go to work. You know, to me, that's not right. It's an individual decision. So how, 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 all right, here's my, here's my issue with the idea that it's an individual decision because we had an argument in the chat that, you know, you should stay home out of personal responsibility, but I should be allowed to go and do whatever I want. But the reality is that I may be carrying the disease for two weeks before I show symptoms. And then there's another two weeks before I'm, I'm critical. And so it's a month long time frame. And so how do you balance the reality? Because, Again, I'm not arguing for government force. I just think that in a in a libertarian society, full libertarian society, the most responsible thing is to stay in place. And we'd probably ask people to sacrifice some income because I may be carrying the disease and my activity and bringing it home to you can impact you. So my choices and my decision can have an impact on decisions that you didn't yourself make. So there becomes in my mind, a fundamental question of this is the argument that we've all had at these libertarian. What if there was a pandemic and you violate my nap by showing up with a disease that I didn't know about? It's like, we're in that reality now. And so if people choose to go to work, aren't they in some respects being bad actors? No, I I don't think so. If the government could institute testing procedures to allow people back into the country at these airport testing sites, there has to be a way, and I'm saying that this is a fault of basically state governments, not the federal government. You and I both know that the federal government, in essence, has very little to do with what's going on within the states as far as our health matters. It should have been up to the state government to make sure that our hospitals were prepared, that we had all the supplies we needed and all that. That's what we're paying taxes for to the state. The federal government doesn't have that medical responsibility to us. We should be demanding this from the state. It's their louse up as far as I'm concerned. 
So there has to be a way to minimize the risk to everyone and still allow everyone the ability to have their right to choose to either go to work or stay home. And if testing is available that allows people into the country from infected areas, why shouldn't Indiana be able to come up with something that allows people back to work? Schools have medical staff in them. Okay, so have businesses hire medical staff to make sure the people coming to work aren't infected. Have everybody tested if you have to. But there has to be something that allows people to have that right to go back to work. No, and I think that's where we're going to get, and I think that's the conversation that's happening now is like, all right, maybe this this two weeks was necessary to blunt that curve, but more than two weeks, I just don't think that the American people are going to accept more than two or three weeks like Fauci wants. Uh, it just, you know, Sanjay Gupta on CNN arguing for two to three months. Business owners just can't sustain that, it, and, and the hardest hit will be the economically disadvantaged because the businesses that are going to go out first – are going to be the part-time employers, the people who employ people part-time. And so uh, I, I agree with you. I think the reality is we were six weeks late to getting testing going because of the federal government, the CDC, the FDA. And, right. And that's, too many restrictions. And too many restrictions, too many. But now once now that we've got a lot of this stuff online and that's you're going to start in the next – see in the next week, get, testing will be proliferated. And then it becomes uh, – a personal responsibility, a personal choice. And then, you know, I can go and get tested. Did I have it? Do I have it? I can, you know, make sure that I'm not around to coworkers that are exceptionally at risk, you know, for the next 18 months, as this is predicted epidemiologically to be a situation, I need to be in, I, I want to come see you again this summer, but I need to have an informed choice about my ac- actions. And I, I just don't have that at this point. You know, and I, so that's where I think we're in total agreement in that the, the reality is we have to open up, we have to get back to work, but people have to have the ability to have informed choices. And the medical industry, the pharmaceutical industry, the, um, the auto industry said they're going to have 100, 000, hundreds of thousands of ventilators built by early May. Uh, and so as capacity comes on, as new treatments come on, as testing comes on, I don't think that we're going to be shut down for very long, and I don't think we should be. I think there, there has to be, in all of these conversations, the individual has to be informed about what choices they can or can't make, and the federal government has prevented that from happening and has, in my mind, forced all of us into a situation where we're economically seriously hurt, you know, and that's that's I, I don't I just Phyllis I don't understand how people can look at the government and go we should give these people more responsibility they're really good at what they do oh yes let's do that right they, they, they fixed everything so far really well the whole point of the cost series is to show how public policy has direct impacts on human beings lives on individual lives as we did with yours like there's just no doubt that they have an adverse effect whenever they make decisions and so one of the decisions that they've made in in shutting all of these non-essential companies down is you've now put part-time people out of work so what happens what's what's an inverse consequence what's an unintended consequence of that well, You're going to have more people relying on the system. Not just that, but people are need quick cash because their Trump bucks aren't going to get here fast enough and their jobs aren't going to be able to get the stimulus 
the small business loans are a joke. You're not going to get that yeah. money. You're not going to get that money for six months, and you need cash in the next two to make payroll. And so there's just no, that's not going to work. So what do people do? They turn to the opioid trade. They turn to quick, easy money, theft. And so the incentives of saying, you know, everybody stop working, uh, that's, that, that's one of the unintended public health consequences is the opioid system might, might spike. So what, what is your opinion of state and local governments forcing a shutdown? We're seeing a shutdown uh, as far as businesses or, or personal uh, interactions. I mean, to me, personal responsibility is key. You should, just like the NBA, just like the NCAA, that was a no-brainer. Like, that's companies sacrificing income for the good of the public health, right? Like, that that was a voluntary decision. I, I have made the voluntary decision to work from home. Like, I think that stuff is good. What I have a problem with is people being forced to not go to work and the government declaring who is and is not essential. Because if you look at the list of who is is and is not essential, the essential people seem to be the people that donate to campaigns a lot. Yes, there's a lot of government employees there, isn't there? And a lot of uh, public employees. That's my point. Those people are going to work, correct? Right. They're, They're supposedly practicing... Social distancing or whatever that is called. Six feet There's away. A six foot distance. Okay. What's the difference between them going to work, you or anybody else? That is giving privileges to some people and not everyone. That's directly against the Indiana Constitution. That's completely in violation of the Indiana Constitution. Why are they exempt from testing of any kind, from staying? Why aren't they shut down? Are they being tested? No. Right. So what's good for the goose is good for the gander, essentially. That's my point. The government decides who is essential, and then they give them special privileges, which has been going on forever, which is one of the reasons I was always writing about the legislation and the Special Privileges Act and the differences that they were treating certain Groups of people differently. There is no difference. Those people, are you going to tell me that those people are not infected? That they're not passing it on to anybody else? They're not taking it home to their elderly parents? They're not giving it to their children who can then give it to their grandparents? You're going to guarantee all that? So, How can you then say, I should say, it's the responsibility of my neighbor not to go to work, even though he feels fine, and he has a job he can perform to earn a paycheck instead of sitting home and trying to survive on, excuse me, Trump bucks of $1,200. That's really going to go far, isn't it? Right. It's wrong, Chris. It's wrong. The best, and that's what people need to realize, the best the government can do to save you is $1,500 or $1,000 for a couple months. And there's dire consequences on the other end of that because of inflation. Because they punish everyone else besides. Right. And where do you think they're going to get the money to make up for the money they're spending? Do you not think that eventually taxes are going to have to be collected to pay for that? They don't make any money of their own. They never have. So looking at Indiana, um, the executive order requires businesses that are non-essential to cease. So right. 
and and this is very standard across so your your local government basically what happens is once one government does this it cascades across the the other governments and they just adopt what the other governments did which is why you know the first government to act is always the most important to watch because it just gets replicated and so here's the list of essential businesses as governor eric holcomb outlined grocery stores pharmacies gas stations police stations fire stations hospitals doctor offices uh healthcare facilities garbage pickup public transit <laughs> they c- so this is where we so all that makes sense once then i just made the argument you're just verifying it but guarantee me that those people aren't spreading the virus right and so then we get into the other businesses that can stay open public transit daycare centers airport operations utilities convenience stores pet supply stores food distribution companies animal shelters churches media food banks auto repair shops banks insurance companies hardware stores real estate firms manufacturing companies hotels funeral homes public service hotlines such as snap and hip 2.0 post offices and other shipping and delivery educational institutions may be open online dry cleaners are essential and restaurants but dine-in service is prohibited there you go and so basically everybody can be open except hairdressers (laughs) (laughs) and tattoo parlors they can't be open right so (laughs) you you the the businesses that don't have good lobbyists are are closed. If that's the take you want to take on, I'm fine. Like I said, it has always upset me how government decides special privileges for special groups. Right. And now we're doing the same thing with the so-called federal relief package that we want to relieve the auto workers because they voluntarily shut down and pay them. No, come on. This is getting ridiculous. Yeah, the uh, reality of this this package is both sides are filling it full of pork. And so oh, if you... Yeah, the last one was ridiculous. I, I, I tried going through some of it and, and it's, it's 1,400 pages. I mean, it was bad enough reading 14 and 15 with the Indiana, but this is ridiculous. And the stuff, the, the details... They hide stuff in the minutia of the bill, which is another thing that has always irritated me. One bill, one subject. 1,400 pages to take care of one subject. Give me a break. Yeah, I'm trying to grab the post to the uh, to show some of the grab bag. So some of the stuff that has been put in here, requiring airlines to fully offset their carbon emissions. Uh, All right. Funding for community journalism. Uh, greenhouse gas emissions from flights uh, need to be dismissed and limited. Uh, it has collective bargaining for federal employees. Uh, it has same-day voter registration across the nation, overriding states. It has uh, restricting stock buybacks. It's got 1,119 pages as of yesterday. Uh, one of them is conducting risk-limiting audits of the results of elections um, it bails out the Postal Service. It requires early voting in all 50 states. It requires the airlines to fully offset their carbon emissions. I, I looped back. But, yeah, it has a shit ton 
of grab bags. And that's just for the Democrats, what they've put in. I haven't even seen yet the Republican stuff that needs to put in there, be put in there. So uh, uh, that they now, all know that they has died. a lot to do with what the government forced people to do as a result of this virus. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, you could make the argument, as someone made on the show uh, last week, like the government regulations, the forced shutdowns of the airline, for instance, is constitutionally sound to, to give them restitution for what the government did to their business. And so it's not a bailout. It's it's basically like eminent domaining your property. But that isn't the same thing, you know, requiring carbon emissions be reduced in these bailout packages like it, it, it again it just goes back to exactly what you said it's picking winners and losers it's funding people that have good connections and hurting those that don't well unfortunately the average american doesn't have a lobby group do we no we've only got this podcast phyllis <laughs> well i kept trying to help you as much as i can uh it's the state of Indiana is basically the same way. And this executive order from the governor, like, you know, you've read it, you've seen, it's basically all we're punishing are the low-income hourly workers in things like restaurants. I don't know, was there anything else? It would, uh, bars, although you can have carryout now. But that's wrong. If, if someone else is there to provide those services, how are they not spreading the virus any more than the people who can't be there to provide the services? Right. It, it, it only takes one, like you pointed out on several of your podcasts, to infect two and a half. Right. And then those two and a half, okay, what's the difference? Mm-hmm. The only thing it's going to do is it might slow down. It might. And we don't know. You're not telling me that they can definitively tell you that this definitely is going to make a difference in slowing it down. If I'm going to catch it, I'm going to catch it. If you're going to catch it, you're going to catch it. You know, I don't know that I, I don't know that I agree <laughs> that it definitively. I, I think that social distancing as a concept is a is a proven strategy, but I do think. Oh, yes. <laughs> but I, I do think that there is some part part of why I think this is also ridiculous in some ways is like you're telling me that a golf course needs to shut down. Right. Or a garden center with open air plants like the reality is that we're taking it to an extreme to the point that we're not going to build herd immunity and you have to have people exposed on some level. There isn't going to be a vaccine. Let's be real. Vaccines take a couple years to really get onto market like they there's some treatments like antibodies. So this is something we're going to be dealing with for a couple years in terms of putting your health at risk, for instance, you know, and so. I think what was argued on CNN on Anderson Cooper by a guy named David Katz, who wrote an article that I shared that I'll put in the show notes, is surgical strikes. Everybody just take some personal responsibility, be really smart about where you go and what you do, and realize that you can carry the virus, you can infect people like your grandparents, and every choice that you make when you leave the house has a consequence on somebody else. You know, and... So, so the reality is shutting down everybody for 18 months. It, it doesn't matter if you shut everybody down for two weeks or two years. Once everybody gets out and starts gathering together again in entertainment venues, it's going to pop. Like there is going to be a spread, you know, but 
I, I understand the wisdom of delaying it a month because we can build more capacity. We weren't prepared, and so we've got to get prepared, and this is the way to build capacity, get chlorinique online, get ventilators built, you know, and and keep that from spiking and overrunning the hospitals too much. But we're, we're, we, I don't know that we did enough to do that. I mean, New York City is kind of a scary situation right now, Phyllis. Yes, but you've got so many people there, and so many came in carrying it. I, I, I think that that probably increased the infection right there. Don't forget, that's world travelers. Mm-hmm. In the heartland, most of us aren't going to have that. Now, maybe Indianapolis has world travelers. You probably do. But out here in the sticks, it's rare. Right. And, and that's another thing. Why shut down areas that aren't that infected? It doesn't make sense. Right. You're punishing people that don't need it. It's just like locking everybody up because somebody might have a joint on them. I mean, <laughs> come on. Well, that's a good point. That's the way I look at it. It's, I guess it's because I'm 72 years old. I've seen this stuff many times, and you know, I've, we've recovered from it. When you go, when you live through a cancer treatment. You have a different perspective on things. It's kind of like this is definitely overplaying what needs to be done and underplaying what should have been done by the state and local governments in the first place. Mm -hmm. We should have been prepared in each state, in particular Indiana, for whatever health comes up. Supposedly the Board of Health has got all this authority and and resources and everything else. What are they spending the money on? Right. Why don't we have... Uh, sufficient masks, ventilators, and all that, just in case there's an emergency. That should have been the first thing. It's just like an emergency fund for somebody who's working. You put away $1,000 as an emergency for uh, something that might happen. Why hasn't the state of Indiana done that? And here we've got a surplus in the budget, remember? Yeah, which all those people here in Indiana who wanted to spend that rainy day fund on you know, a mo- our marginal salary increase for teachers. Aren't they glad we didn't spend that money? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think Don't get me started on teachers now. <laughs> no, I know. Well, I think I think your perspective is right on. Like, let's just take personal responsibility, be smart, and make good decisions with all this. But there's no need to put everybody in prison for the next two months. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And besides that, one of the things in this uh, executive order, which I did send to a gentleman who asked about it, he said, well, what about the homeless people? Did you notice that they aren't covered by any of this? They're exempt from it? Yeah, and a lot of those people didn't file taxes. So some of the most disadvantaged, by the way, aren't aren't going to get the Trump bucks because they didn't file taxes in 2018. There's a lot of people who didn't make enough to file in 2018, so they're not going to get any of this money. So, you know, the the people who, I don't know, it's just, it's like the Keystone Cops. I, I don't understand how people can, and give me some wisdom here, uh, Phyllis, but I, I don't understand how people can see such incompetence so many times over for decades, see the results not working, and still want to more, still want to, still want to trust it even more. I don't get it. It's simple. It's the same thing that I have run up against. Well, I've been 
talking to the legislature now for well on to 30 years. The comments that I get is most people, and you know this for a fact, don't care unless it's something that affects them personally. And right. you know that to be the case. And now that it's affecting them personally, what can they do about it? Not a, not a blasted thing. You have elected officials who are going to be there. You can't just throw them out of office. There's no way to remove them, except mm -hmm. by the next election, but then the damage has been done. And that's why I keep trying to tell people and, and trying to post information, don't let legislation go through, because once it does, you will never get rid of it. Right. And you, you can't get through their heads. For some reason, they can't see it unless it's a personal imposition on them. Then they all they do is complain. Right. They don't want to take any action. I mean, you know, we've sued the, the state of Indiana twice. Uh, you know, I go up against the government whenever I had a chance. Uh, your average person doesn't do that. And as soon as you say, well, we should do this, but that group has to be exempt. That is something that really triggers me. No, we, we kind of saw that at the beginning of this. It's like, oh, the, the poor restaurant and bar workers, which I'm I'm empathetic to their point of view. But what about their suppliers? Like, what right. about what about the people who are driving the trucks to supply those? Like everybody gloms on to one group and we need to give relief to this one group because they're the vocal group. But, you know, the the people who are laid off of beer distribution companies, they're not they're not getting the same. You know, people aren't putting their Venmos out on Facebook, you know, and so I think sometimes we because people don't under, understand the sophisticated the sophisticated nature of a market and a big market like ours they, because everything is interconnected everything is interconnected they think in black and white people think in terms of i only see what's in front of my face i am an experiential person too like it is hard for me to grab the exponential math of this or to grab the serious nature of this and I have to work at it because I'm a sensory person. I have to feel something or touch something or see something for me to fully understand it and embrace it. And I think a lot of people are like that. I don't think a lot of people have that kind of overarching view of, you know, the 40 different suppliers in that meal that the restaurant server was serving. They're, they're out of work right now for the next two weeks as well. But we all, well, we all go on to one. It's imposing upon a certain group of people and not imposing upon everyone. Right. And anytime you need a knock in the head, just give me a holler and I'll, <laughs> I'll put you on the right path. You know, I've always been very frank with you. Anytime we have a discussion, I'm not afraid to tell you exactly what I think and why. Right. And the point is, it's easy for me to see how everything is interconnected and how it basically, it's simple. It basically boils down to individual responsibility and the government staying out of everybody's business. Now, if someone is infected and is going to, let's say HIV. Remember when we had all the scare about HIV and they passed laws saying that if a person who was HIV positive had sex with somebody and didn't tell them they were committing a crime. Yeah. And they, they were to be punished. If someone is tested positive, then they have the responsibility to self-quarantine. And if they don't, they should be quarantined by the Board of Health. But don't punish the people who aren't, especially when you're letting, what, 65% of the people in Indiana go about their ordinary business, according to this order? 
Right. Because Does that the, make sense the, to you? The, the majority of people are not going to suffer. Co- I mean, the, the 80% of us who are going to get it are probably going to experience mild to no symptoms at all. It, it's so let me ask that question because I made that, I made that, I related that same thing to somebody on Twitter and it was a voluntarist and anarchist and they told me I was a fool. And I said, if you are going out with AIDS or if you are going out with coronavirus and you are knowingly infecting people, you should be held criminally liable or civilly liable for your actions. You, and I, I don't care if it's in an anarcho court or if it's in the courts of the United States. Like, I think if you are, if you are not letting, if you're withholding information that allows someone to make an informed choice, that's fraud. And that's a violation of the, of the non-aggression principle. I think if you are infected and you know you're infected with this, then you're you're responsible for what happens on the basis of your own choices because you're defrauding people and you're potentially murdering people if you go if you go out and you don't self quarantine for a couple of weeks. Do you agree with that? You just said the same thing I said. Right. It's individual responsibility. Yes, I do. You are harming someone else. And whether it's the Constitution or human rights, you as an individual don't have the right to harm someone else deliberately. If you know you're infected, you're supposed to self-quarantine. And I wouldn't have no problem with the State Board of Health or the local boards of health quarantining people who have the virus or telling them to go home and stay in, in their home. Right. Uh, that, that's. But again, the government can't, shouldn't, the only reason the government should force people who are infected is because it prevents someone else harm. That's the only job government has, to stop one of us from harming the other. Right. It's not the same thing as robbing somebody and causing actual harm. This is potential harm that you could infect somebody. So it's not as severe as locking somebody up or, you know, arresting them or something like that. But self-quarantine should be something that they should be doing. Again, it's individual responsibility, and the government should know its limits. And unfortunately, it doesn't. Right. So what do you make of the people who are just kind of willfully ignorant? I got into an argument with a guy last night who says, this is all fake. This, these statistics are all fake because of this a bunch of false positives. These tests are all fake. And I said, well, what about the bodies? Oh, they're mis- misdiagnosing them as COVID deaths. This is all a ploy to roll in socialism and martial law and institute. Like, I, I, what do you make of people who just kind of can't see what's in front of their face? I don't get it. Well, you got the same conspiracy theorists on just about any other subject you and I'd like to discuss. Mm-hmm. That's my, my answer to you. Either you believe documents, which is why whenever I write something that, that you were publishing for me, I always provided the documentation showing where the information came from. If you don't want to believe the government statistics, that's your choice, I guess. But at the same time, we either have to trust the government or make do without it. I mean, again, that's an individual choice. So I don't know how to, number one, you're never going to convince people like that. They always see a conspiracy in anything the government does. You know that. You, you experience that 
as, as executive director of the Libertarian Party. You know how that works. Mm-hmm. Anytime they can find a conspiracy, they will. Right. But there is no way to convince those people. I, I get, and, yeah, I think know, it, <laughs> it, it makes them feel better because then they they can understand it as opposed to just the pure chaos of the world. I don't, I don't know. It, it to me, it's it's sort of like it's also a little bit of when this is all over. If there's only sixty thousand dead instead of six hundred thousand dead, I get to be right and say, "Haha, I knew it all along. I had the secret knowledge that you didn't." And you go, "Okay, well, that's still more people than died in Vietnam. Like that's still." eight times, nine times, you know, like, I, I guess, well, well, these deaths, this isn't any de- deadlier than the flu for now. But it, what about all the nurses across the world, all the doctors across the world, including in Washington, including the one that I talked to yesterday morning saying, this is a horrible way to die. This is not the flu. You know, I, I, I guess I don't get the cognitive dissonance. And these people who don't want to believe CDC numbers, for instance, are the same ones that in another post will bitch about the fact that the CDC won't accurately record gun numbers, numbers involving guns. It's like, OK, well, then you trust it then. So you get, you don't get to pick and choose what is believable or what is not. Like, I think at some point you have to look at statistics that come out of public institutions and you have to go, okay, let me evaluate this and figure out what is true and what is not, knowing that there is an inherently pro-government bias that is always going to come out of any public back number, right? Like, there's always going to be, uh, the government will always make itself look good, just like any corporation will always make itself look good. That's just human nature. Like, you want to keep your phony baloney job. So, you have right. to, you just, I think it's hard for people to kind of work through this stuff and do the, do the research. You, you seem to enjoy it, but, you know, for others of us, it's, it's a little difficult. Well, then there's also the availability of getting information from other reliable sources. You have many health institutions. For instance, with me, there's uh, the, uh, Cancer Institute, and then Walden's has its own institute, and lymphoma has its own institute. Johns Hopkins, and, right? And and there's John Hopkins and and the, the Mayo Clinic and all those people. You have the information from them. Now, either you can either believe it or not. Most of them, unless they're public publicly funded, aren't going to skew the results. You know, it's going to be accurate reporting. Now, they may say something that you know either supports the government or doesn't support the government, I would hope that they would report everything. And a lot of times if you dig enough, you can find the entire report, like I always do, and tell people, don't read the synopsis, read the whole bill, even though it's 60 pages, because they hid something on page 49. Right. So, but most people, like I've told you, they won't read everything. They look at a headline and they assume something. Or, you know, they conclude something because they've heard it 20,000 times from somebody else instead of verifying that that's what the information provides. And you're not going to get people to care. I have tried and tried for years. They don't care unless it affects them. Well, I think there's a very real argument to be made that people don't give, that they're Americans who don't care if the body count is 2,000, 200,000, or 2 million they just don't want it to affect them, and they'll go back to work. Even they'll, the 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 devaluing of human life makes us go. Well, those are just numbers. 
So I'll go back to work. If it's 200,000 or 2 million, it doesn't matter as long as I've got a job. Like, I think there is that little bit of callousness in, in human beings about all this too. Well, it's definite callousness. I know this is a different (laughs) subject, but by the time someone aborts a human life, that's the same attitude that you're talking about. Right. They don't care. And it's, and in the case of abortion, it's their responsibility for the most part that they got pregnant in the first place. If you didn't want it, you shouldn't have done it. I mean, I'm an old school person. You know that abstinence is the best thing. If you don't want to get pregnant, don't do it. And this is the same thing. It's so hateful it's individual of individual responsibility. Right. And you, 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 like I said, is there any reason that businesses couldn't reopen if they had a medical staff on premises to screen people, to make sure they were well when they came to work? Schools have it. How much trouble can it be? There's lots of professionals out there who want that job. You know that. Right. That seems simple to me. Well, give give your final thoughts. Give your final uh, let's let's wrap this up. This has all been very thoughtful and and helpful. But uh, you've got a captive audience now. What do they need to understand? They need to understand the same thing that I've been preaching for years: individual responsibility and government limitations. That's the key to both of them. And you don't want to harm some harming someone else includes harming someone else's finances because that is their life you have the right to life liberty and the pursuit of happiness your life depends upon your finances in most cases and you know that's the case Mm -hmm. i don't want to influence someone else's ability to live whether it be lavishly or not is none of my business the point is if they aren't going to harm someone else The government has no right to tell them they can't go to work. Right. And if they insist you can only go to work if you're not going to harm someone else, then they should have tests. And if that's the case, what do all of these executive orders mean that allow all these people to go to work without being tested? Mm -hmm. It seems kind of contrary to me. But like I said, I'm old. What do you know? You're a boomer. Right. (laughs) You keep telling us that. You know, the sad thing, Joe Houtman looked at Jeremiah Morrill at the Libertarian Party convention and goes, well, you figure out a way to get rid of us, which is such a dark joke. And my boomer, my boomer jokes have always kind of been like, all right, this, this rigid mentality, it, it's a short term for a mentality, not an age. And so that's why so, some people don't get that because the the boomer mentality is not somebody like yourself who's going i'm going to respond to this in a rational thoughtful way it's it's the guy who is in the store right now going this isn't real i'm blah 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 like i'm invincible it's the it's the confident idiot that i just can't i i don't get and i don't get like the anti-intellectualism of it and there is a lot of 30 year old boomers running around right now and i i don't i think that the selfishness of the boomer generation in some ways, and you feel free to yell at me if you want, but we're we're kind of, kind of seeing some of that. It's like, how are you guys going to take care of us? Well, you guys are the ones who made the decisions that led to this being a worse crisis. Like, but now again, I'm in the middle of, 
I turned 18 on 9-11, and then there was an economic crash as I got out of high school. Get out of college in 2008, economic crisis, right as I begin my, my journey into the workforce. Now I'm, I'm just hitting my top earning potential and another crisis, and it's even worse. Like, how, how much more boomer policy do I have to put up with before I'm allowed to make the same kind of money that you guys were allowed to make? Huh, Phyllis? Answer that. Well, we didn't make the kind of money that you're talking about. Uh, we were blue-collar workers all of our lives and savers. But the point is, you are what you make yourself. And since you've been to my health and you've seen everything that I've done, I can tell you that if there is something I want to do, I will find a way. And you can verify that by having been here. Mm-hmm. Many of the things I've done, I've been told, you can't do. Well, I did them. And I'm determined that if the door is closed, I'll find a way to take the door off the hinges or open a window. Everybody has that. They should. Everyone should have that intelligence. And you're talking about people who don't want to accept the fact that this is a health emergency. For their own safety, they should be thinking. They should, apparently these people haven't learned that the only person who's responsible for your health and your life is you. Right. I mean the individual, not Chris Spangle. I mean you. Mm-hmm. you know, you're responsible for your own life. And if you feel that careless that you don't want to take a virus seriously... I don't have any sympathy for you. I mean, if you want to be dumb, you can be dumb. And honestly, it honestly may work out in our favor. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing you or I can do to to convince people to take their lives seriously and their responsibility seriously. I've been fighting that for years. They do not see it until it comes and affects them. Now watch. Some of the young people get sick. They're going, well, why didn't somebody tell us, right? Why didn't they tell us we could get sick? Right. We just thought this was old people who were going to croak. Yeah. You can't determine that. Haven't you ever heard that uh, bacteria and viruses can mutate into something else? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a simple thing. Uh, Well, the Waldersham's that I have is basically a mutation in the bone marrow that prevents me from... uh, manufacturing hemoglobin, which drives down uh, my blood count to where, you know, it was abnormal. <laughs> right. So things mutate, and they can't tell us why the Waldensons mutated the proteins in my blood marrow uh, to cause it that I can't build it. So if I can, if, if blood marrow can mutate, you're not going to tell me these viruses can't mutate into something else and cause infections among people that they thought were exempt well i mean yeah it's nature you can't control it it, people (laughs) it it mutated from animal populations to human populations which happens all the time mad cow disease was a cow disease ebola a a monkey disease there's something called chronic wasting disease in deer right now that will eventually make its way to human beings like I, i think that's right i think that human beings there's an arrogance to us because we've conquered so much that we can conquer anything. And there, there is a great book by Thomas Sowell who writes about, it, it's called A Conflict of Visions, and that there are two kinds of people in the world. 
that those who believe that they can perfect human society and human behavior through institutions, and then there are those who believe institutions should be built around human nature as it is because it can't be changed, of which you and I would fall into the second category. You know, yes, the, we would. The reality is that you can't change human beings. You can only try to build institutions and societies around logical decision-making that, or the irrational decision-making sometimes of people, like the 75-year-old man who goes in to buy a TV in the middle of a pandemic that puts him at 15% likely to die if he gets it. You know, there's, there's not going to be rational actors all the time, and you cannot use... And I think that this has been a great display of the difference between voluntary action and peaceful cooperation versus force. The attitude of people during the week of the NBA shutdowns was, we've got to do this for society. It's the right thing to do. It sucks. It's going to cause some pain, but we got to do it. It's the right thing to do. Versus the next week when the government got involved, everybody went, F this. I'm not leaving my, I'm, I'm going to leave my house. Don't you take my Chick-fil-A for me. Like it just, <laughs> prohibition never works. And so how do you, how do you get the bad actors to act rationally? You just persuade them more and more and more. And that's going to be more effective because the bad actors are going to be bad actors, whether there's government force or not. <laughs> there's still people going out. It doesn't matter what law you pass. You know, the, the bad actors are still going out and the good actors are all closed down being hurt by it. So let, right. the, let the bad actors be bad actors and suffer the consequences because that may solve itself. Well, that's one of the reasons I posted the executive orders, because now uh, the governor is talking about enforcement procedures. So he's talking about enforcing things. In other words, taking away licenses, which that's another thing that irritates me. What right do they have to take away your license? I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry, that just irritates me. Right. These people have a right to earn a living. That is what supports their life. And to take away their license because they were serving somebody that they shouldn't have served when you've got all these other people running around out there that probably shouldn't be running around out there any more than you or I should be running around out there. It's wrong. Right. And it doesn't, my husband always tells me that I have a problem. I look at everything from a logical standpoint. And if it's not logical, it upsets me because he says, well, you just don't understand. People don't think like you do. Right. Yeah. So, you know, that's me. I'm just an old logical. No, it's like my therapist said to me one time. She goes, you have to really stop thinking that everybody thinks the same way you do. Just because you look at this the same way or you look at this this way, you think everybody else understands what you understand, has the same experience you have, has the same knowledge base. Like, you know, and that's that's something that I've really worked on the last year with Miss Pat. Like we were talking today about this and she's like, you got to stop talking about the economy. Nobody cares about economy. And I go, the economy is lives like you. You talk a lot about the poor like the economy is how the poor get fed. Like the, yeah, that has a major impact on everyone, especially the poor. Yeah. And so as we talked it out, she's like, you have to understand black people have never had an economy. So they don't, they don't think about things. They're like, I'm going to be poor. I've been poor. My family was poor. We made it. It's going to be fine. You know, whereas I said, listen, I, I grew up in a family of business owners. And so we, we think about the economy because not because we're greedy and trying to clutch onto what we're doing, but because you know, my dad multiple years came home and said, Christmas is going to be tight. I need to make payroll. 
I need to give bonuses to my people. You know, there's business owners right now trying to do the math to figure out how to stay open and keep people employed, not because they're greedy, but because they want to be able to keep their 30 or 40 or 50 employees afloat. So, you know, they're, this is all a math game for everybody trying to figure stuff out. But I think the thing that I want to impress upon people is that when you hear the economy and we, we need to reopen, we need to do this, that's not people trying to be greedy. That's not Wall Street. That's people realizing the fact that the jobs that are going to go away first are the part-time jobs. And who are the people that have the part-time jobs? The people who need to be working the most. Because, right. you know, if, if uh, like, I'm going to take my Trump bucks, but I don't need the Trump bucks as much as somebody who's a server does right now, you know? And it, it, I, don't, I don't know. It just, it, it's, it's all it's all kind of a timing game right now. So, you know, everybody just, when you hear the economy being talked about, it's not cold, heartless bastards. It's people trying to go, how can I make sure that I have a business in six months? So the 30 people that work for me are employed and how do we make the right decisions? I mean, I, I keep bringing up my cousin on these shows, but my cousin is just daily calling me agonizing over, should I stay open? Should I close? Like, I need to keep my people fed. I need to keep my business running, but I don't want people to get sick. Like, I don't know what to do. What's the right call? And I'm like, you, you gotta, there is no right call in some ways. You know, what is, what is the best option for keeping you together long-term? You know, it's, it's, it's really hard out there for, for everybody to try and figure out the balance between how do I keep people safe and how do I keep people fed? And it's, it's, uh, but I think this conversation brought a lot of clarity for me and others. So I appreciate it, Phyllis. Well, that's exactly why I brought up the economy, even though you jumped on me at first, it is essential to everyone's life. And the responsibility for government is to make sure that someone who is infected doesn't infect others. They should be concentrating on that and leaving everyone else go about their business. Right. You cannot survive without an income. And, yeah, it's the economy, stupid. It's always been the economy. That's how all of us survive. I buy something from somebody, somebody buys something else from somebody. It's trickle down. And to say to one group of people, you can continue working, but all these other people can't. I'm sorry, it's wrong. Because these people supposedly are putting other people in danger if they go to work. But this other group of people isn't. Does that make any logical sense to anybody Right. besides the government? Well, the government usually doesn't make logical sense, Phyllis. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thank you. You finally agreed with me after how many years we know each other? No, <laughs> I've always agreed with you. I just think they're, oh, okay. you know, I jumped on you at the beginning because I don't want people to get the impression. Because here's the thing. People have the impression that if you talk about the economy, then you must not care about lives. And if you talk no, about okay, lives, not- then you must be for government action. And I think that there is, there is, there two things can be true at once. You can want people to voluntarily stay home, and you can also think that the economy is important, and you can think that voluntarily staying home is good and that government action is bad. But that's, that's, it's too gray. It's, it's hard for people to – they want a black and white answer. Yeah, there is none. There, in all of life, there is no black and white answer for anything. Somebody better realize that. Life isn't that way. It never is. Mm-hmm. And there's always going to be something bad happening in 
the time frame of your life. It doesn't matter. It's life. Get over it, people. Enjoy what you've got. Learn to plan for emergencies. And protect yourself. I mean, it, it's that simple. All, all of this business about, oh, you know, it, it's being mean because people are going to get sick. All the people that are allowed to work haven't been tested. I keep trying. Right. Do you see what I'm trying to say? No, I get it. I get it. All right. Well, that's a good that's place. That's your to, answer right there. That's a good place. How to, is it safe for everybody else to be working without mandatory testing, but not safe for me to be working? Right. And that is punishing people's life because they need that money to survive. All right, Phyllis Klosinski, that's a great place to end. And, uh, you know, as I always like to mention this. Phyllis is has been such a huge, huge uh, supporter of mine over the years, both emotionally and encouraging me to believe in myself. And she once sent $400 to me to uh, buy equipment because she was so appreciative of what We Are Libertarians was doing. That was in the early days when nobody was funding this at all. And that's why we've always called it the Kl- Phyllis Klosinski Studios, uh, because that that moment was when I went, oh, I should take this seriously because other people take it seriously. And so I appreciate your support and I appreciate your love. And I just think the world of you and you've done so much for me personally. And I love you. And please stay safe. Okay. Well, we love you too. And if you need me on to holler at you some more at any point in time, you just give me a call. I'll be more than glad to join in. In fact, I'll be glad to talk with you and, and any of your other guests at the same time. See if we can get another perspective going. Not that any of us are going to be able to change government. All right. Well, Phyllis, thanks so much. And we'll I'll talk to everybody. I want to thank our patrons who are so supportive now, especially our $100 month subscribers. Anthony Meyer, a new one. Reinhold, another new one. And Craig DaCosta, Ed Brehob, Jason Doolittle, Jeff Bennett, Christy Avery, Matthew Durbin, you guys are great supporters of the show. I want to thank Clayton for coming on at $10 a month. Uh, Logan Knoll for going up to $25 a month from $10. Uh, we really appreciate everybody increasing and joining the Patreon at this moment where there is a lot of tension, and we just appreciate your support because we're trying to bring you good information and good perspectives that you may not hear anywhere else, and your support is crucial. So, If you'd like to join, we are libertarians.com. And thank you so much for listening, and we will see you tomorrow.